Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Howdy, Don. I'm Sam, y'all. Hey, Sam. Like Samwise, Sam, y'all. <laughs> Sam, y'all. I'm Sam, y'all. <laughs> What's up, Don? I lived by sneak and baffleery before I learned of letting go. My friends all called me Mr. Reed, but now I'm known as Mr. Flo. <laughs> I wish y'all could have seen Don's face while he was reading that. The I eyes, love that. the eyes were the selling point. <laughs> yeah, That's I'm pretty Mr. cool, Don. I'm Mr. Flo, but you know, except like when the snack bar at the pool doesn't have something I want, then my flow is interrupted. Oh, God. All right. So was it a Snickers? What were you missing out on there, buddy? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Anything. You were looking for a Zagnut bar. <laughs> I'm looking for <laughs> I'm looking for a Klondike bar. But uh, <laughs> what would you do for a Klondike? <laughs> yeah. I'll I don't want to know. I am not going to answer that question. <laughs> I'll, I would let go. Let go. That better entirely. not be a question because I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hear our guest. Introduce Hi. yourself. Who are you? Hi, I'm an alcoholic and my name is Caroline and I am grateful to be sober today and to have an opportunity to speak with two fine gentlemen about recovery. Well, that's really awesome, but we're, we're the only people showing We're going to get them in here in a minute. Hey guys, <laughs> come on in. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I misunderstood. I don't. Yeah. I thought I I knew what we were doing. (laughs) I appreciate that. I know Sam does too. Caroline, when did you get sober? Um, Well, it was sort of like a plane crash and skid and then crash again. And I actually stopped drinking on June 23rd, 2006. And I thought that I could, you know, just quit drinking without any help or anything like that. So I spent um, 18 months dry without a program. You just quit drinking. I just quit drinking. And I thought that I knew something about staying sober because I had, you know, gone 18 months without drinking and I seemed to be fine. Like, like the unmanageability and the powerlessness and all of that stuff just meant nothing to me. I thought my life was fine and I was miserable. And so my ex-husband had moved to Wilmington. We were trying to do a long distance marriage there for a while. So I just decided I would uh, check out an AA meeting in Wilmington because I didn't want to run into anybody that I knew. I picked up a like year chip at my first meeting. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. (laughs) And I told people how I'd stay sober and they were staring at me like I didn't, you know, like I had three heads and well, wait a minute. How did you know about a, did you know about AA a year well, and a well, half I mean, I before? Had, I'd heard about Alcoholics Anonymous through the years, just here or there. I mean, uh-huh. not, you know, nothing formal. I just knew that it existed. Um, but I was miserable. And the, the long and short of it, how I finally landed in AA in Greensboro was that my ex-husband and I were getting divorced. I was at home in my kitchen. He was falling asleep in front of the TV, not paying attention to our daughter or me. I was seething with resentment. I had no idea what resentment was back then. I just, I didn't know that, that it even had a name. And I was emptying the dishwasher, cooking dinner, doing the laundry, making lunches. I was like, I was doing everything. I was so angry at him for not participating in our life. Um, and I had thrown out all the alcohol that belonged to me but there was still a bottle of Everclear above the stove. And I was, I I had problems with ownership of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, it it all belongs to me at some point. (laughs) I opened the cabinet and I saw that bottle there and it did not occur to me to take a drink. 
it occurred to me to swallow all the Tylenol that I had been stockpiling and to wash it down with a fifth of Everclear and then go back to the bedroom and lock the door. So when I died, my three-year-old daughter didn't find me. That's what mm. not working program got me. Mm. I was going to end it. And a little voice inside my head said, if you're going to make a major life decision like that, you might want to call somebody. And so I picked up the phone and I called the only person I knew who was in recovery. He was in one of our sister fellowships. He's actually a coworker of mine. We'd been working together. We worked together for 10 years at that point. He was my outreach partner. We would go out on the streets of Southeast Greensboro to test people for HIV and syphilis. And of course, all of them are addicted, right? And this is the central problem in their lives. And so we're trying to help people. He's in recovery. He's been working a program for 20 years. You know, I'm telling him all about my escapades and craziness. And he's telling me all about his recovery. And he's doing this 10 year, 12 step, perfect 12 step, just by the book. I have no idea that's what he's doing. I think we're just talking about getting drunk and getting high, right? Right. He's not like saying, you know what you need? You need to go to AA. Right. That's what I was talking about. That's not what he was talking about. And and so what's really interesting is that that week, this was a Friday night, the week before that, he said to me, Caroline, I am no longer going to answer my phone after five o'clock or on the week because I've got to quit working so much and I need more time for myself. So I'm not doing that anymore. And I want you to hold me accountable. And I, That's fine. So I called him and he did not talk later on. He did not know it was me. And so he did what he said he was not going to do. He actually picked up the phone because if he had not picked up the phone, I don't think I would be here. And I didn't say to him that I was going to kill myself, but I said that I wanted to drink and then I had some liquor and he said, okay, if you want me to stay on the phone with you while you pour that out, I'll be happy to, you know, he left it up to me. He didn't say, I really think you should pour that out. So I poured it out. And then he said, you know, you might want to go to a meeting, not you crazy bitch, get your ass to a meeting. He said, you might want to go to a meeting. And so I went online and I found keeping it green. And when I got to the meeting, you know, I asked them, I said, should I pick up a start chip? And, you know, because I haven't had a drink in 18 months and somebody very kind said, well, you know, you, you, you know, you, you get to make that decision for yourself. And so something said to me, I got to be clean and honest about this. I need to pick up a start chip. So I picked up a start start chip and that was it actually April 5th, 2008, not my sobriety date. So, you know, I screwed around in AA and I didn't listen and I tried to work my own program and I, you know, did all kinds of stuff and, you know, Carol sober Caroline's way, right. Work the steps on your own, you know, buy the book, just read it. Well, you had been doing it for a year and a half (laughs) on your own. You had been staying sober on self-will. Yes, I was staying sober on self-will. That's right. We're trying to. But but you know, the, yeah. the big the take-home message, guys, here is like misery. Like it was it was miserable. It was absolutely miserable. And it's not my sobriety date because I, I finally got a sponsor and I finally stopped running my mouth and I finally started to listen and I finally realized how sick I really was and that I needed help. And the woman that had been trying to sponsor me for the longest time, I finally gave her a call and we started working together. And when I had, I don't know, I was coming up on six months sober. I asked her where I should pick up my start chip, my, my six months chip. Does it have to be at a home group or can it be at any group? And she's like, okay, wait a minute. When did you stop taking Xanax? And I said, oh (laughs) yeah. Um, but I'm only taking it as, I was only taking it as prescribed, you know, Ah. I wasn't. And she's like, do you know that benzos do the same thing to your brain that alcohol does? I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I'm not getting high on it. And, and I don't know, it was, it was a while ago. It was 90 days ago, probably. And actually, when I think back to it, I stopped taking Xanax when I finally worked the third step. And I turned my will and my life over because I was no longer anxious, at least not anxious to the point where I felt like I had to take something, you know. Is that before this conversation with your sponsor? 
Yes. So you had yes. quit. You had started I, working I the steps with your, with the sponsor. And, and then I she's... just naturally quit taking it because I yeah. didn't need it anymore. And so I said, well, I don't really know when it was. And she said, well, um, I really suggest that you start over and that you revise your sobriety date. And I said, well, I don't want to do that. That's not fair. And she's like, well, okay, you don't have to, but if you want to work with me, you're going to do that. So that when you tell your story, you can be clear with everybody that you have not been using mind and mood altering substances that you have been using the steps. And I said, all right, you got me. I got, I got to work with you. And so I chose August 31st because that was the date that I was absolutely sure I had had nothing else since then. Caroline, I love that because it aligns with, with my experience that I went through and, and you and I haven't talked in a long time. So I don't know if you know this, uh, but my last drink was in 2003, but in 2012, I reset my sobriety date due to using poppers and diet pills in a way that's not sober for me. Oh, wow. And though I was still active in AA, I was act, I was sponsoring, sponsored. I was doing general service, doing all the things, Mm -hmm. but those things had become a part of my recovery then I met some people in another fellowship, uh, Crystal Meth Anonymous, even though meth's not part of my story, that was what was needed to kind of get my attention and say that, Sam, these things that you're doing are not okay. Right. Integrity led me to reset yeah. my sobriety date just along the lines of what you were just saying. Your sponsor said to you that so that when you tell your story, people are clear yeah. about what sobriety is there. Yeah. What I like about what you're both saying is that, I mean, this is in AA and a lot of people have the idea that it's AA. Well, this is about alcohol, singleness of purpose. And so how do you think about that? The, the singleness of purpose of AA and the fact that, you know, your sponsor saying you need to be clear about when you stop using all mind altering substances. Right. Well, I mean, I actually know very few people in recovery that have only alcohol as their quote unquote drug of choice, whatever you want to call it. I mean, you know, Bill Wilson was prescribed tranquilizers. Dr. Bob was taking pills. Um, You know, the doctor alcoholic addict story that eventually came acceptance is the answer. I mean, it's just, you know, I don't know that purism really exists in recovery, but I mean, I understand, I understand why people want us to keep the focus on alcohol because we don't want our, like our our message to get diluted. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, or for people that are new to get confused about what it is we're really talking about. I think it's within the meetings. Yes. And meeting, not outside of the, outside of the meeting. It's the truth. I had a sponsee that, right that asked me to sponsor him. He was using pot and he, uh, and it was a problem for him. And he got me as a sponsor saying that I can't, I'm going to have to get honest about this use of marijuana and quit. And I said, well, yeah, I'll help you. I'll sponsor you with that. And we went through the steps with it. And in about uh, nine months, he said, Oh, by the way, I'm using pot again, but it's okay because it's AA and we're only focused on alcohol said, yeah, but you told me (laughs) that, that the marijuana was a problem for you and you couldn't quit and you were addicted to it. So you're going against yourself. Right. (laughs) Well, and, and it's the honesty that gets us every time. Right. I mean, that's the principle behind the first step is like, you know, if I'm going to be truly on, I mean, that, and that's, that's the, the thing about getting sober, right, is that we finally get a conscience and then things start to bother us. And if things are start to bothering us and we're not being, and I, well, I will speak for myself and I'm not being completely honest about something, whatever it may be, right. Then my disease gets all up in my head and starts to, you know, run the show and, and it gets really, really ugly. That's it. That's um, 100% it. You know, it, 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 it's important to me, particularly out here in California, where I'm becoming a, a part of a different type of recovery community. 
Um, and that's just because the, the flavor of AA changes based on locale. One of the things that I'm very clear about whenever I share my uh, information about my diet pills and poppers and resetting my sobriety date is that I used diet pills and poppers in a way that's not sober for me. Right. And what that proved was, you know, I used poppers and then put them down realizing, Ooh, this is not a good idea. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then a year or so later I did them again. So what I showed myself there was I can't be honest with myself about this. This is pro problematic mm. diet pills. Right. I did the same thing for two and a half years where I used them and I used them the way that I was supposed to use them, but I would stop using them and say, okay, I'm done. And then I would go buy them again. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's, it's important to me because there are people who use poppers. I, you know, after that first use of poppers uh, that I did and, and it was eating my lunch, I talked with somebody in recovery about poppers and, and their response was, well, yeah, we use them. It's no big deal. And I'm like, okay, well then that I don't need to reset my date because of that. I just need to not use them anymore. And then I used them again. So that was right. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You've talked about how getting honest with yourself was. Yeah. It's, it's the honesty with self. Uh, and so it is wholly that matter of personal integrity. And I right. think that there are some people in this world who have a problem with alcohol that will use meth once a month or once every quarter or, you know, well, whatever. That's true with absolutely everything. There's people absolutely. who drink and on and only drink once a month the problem is when we have a problem yes. all of that doesn't make any difference and so there are people who consider themselves in recovery who use other substances in ways that are not a problem for them and this is a contentious discussion within yeah. our community yeah i i i'll just speak for myself i just can't do that right i mean and I can't either. And I don't think it, yeah. I don't think it's even contentious. It's just it is like, contentious because it is that problem where people who do that are automatically in so many cases shunned from the fellowship. Well, I mean, what I'll, what, what I'll have to say is right. Tradition three, the only requirement is that for membership is a desire to stop drinking, right? I don't want anybody mm -hmm. not showing up that doesn't think that they need help for whatever reason it is. And it's, you know, and I, I was told by many women and many different occasions that this is the pro alcoholics anonymous, but you hold yourself accountable. And then you have a sponsor. Of course, if you really want to work the program, you've got a sponsor that's holding you accountable and you have a network of women that's holding you accountable. But at the end of the day, you are the one that needs to make, make that decision, but then you have to live with that decision. You have to square it in your head with your conscience. And so whatever your, you know, whatever that process it is for you, you're going to have to go through that. You know, and that's, yeah. that's a lot of freedom, but it's also kind of scary too, because at the, I was taught, we have to learn to be responsible. So, yeah. And if you're yeah. using something that changes the way that, yeah, I mean, if I have a sponsor, I'm going to be honest with my sponsor and I'll be talking about what I'm like, I've had to use uh, drugs after surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. me too. I had to, I was honest with my sponsor and is and the question is, am I using whatever it is I'm using, am I using it to change the way I feel, to get out of my feelings? And if I'm doing that, then I've got a problem. That's right. what the steps address. Inside of AA, we talk about alcohol, alcoholism, and alcoholism is specific. I'm glad that that was the case when I came into AA, because when I came into AA, I quit everything else, but I could not quit alcohol. It was on me. My story it too. rode me. And for almost, um, for almost a month, I had quit using drugs. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess, because I did do some cocaine maybe a month before I came in. But but cocaine wasn't speaking to me the way alcohol was. And alcohol yeah. had me by the throat. And I could not quit it. And I tried and tried and tried. So yeah. within AA, in the meetings, we talk about alcoholism. Yes, you can do anything you want to do. 
you can have an affair on your wife and yeah. and screw around and be in AA and go to meetings all the time and say you're sober. But are you sober? No, you're not sober. You're not being well, honest. And, and so that's but, where the sponsor comes in. <laughs> but that I, I do not get to declare whether or not someone is sober. They may yeah, not be sober true. by my standards. Right. Well, right. By but my standards. But I love that that the conversation <laughs> was there. <laughs> okay, Krusty <laughs> old timer. Um, I love that that part of this conversation is talking about that we do keep our own store and that that Caroline, that you were talking about, that it's it's that honesty, that personal integrity that comes into play. And what my experience has been is that that has grown over time in this program, working this program, working with my sponsor, working with others, um, and, and simply allowing myself to be changed over time by living this way. So I was nearly nine years sober when I reset my sobriety date. I'm pretty sure that I probably wouldn't have done that at two years sober. Uh-huh. Right. Especially when I was getting that information from other members who are sober in, in the recovery community saying, you don't need to reset your sobriety date for that. You didn't drink. You're fine. No, I needed to for me. Right. I needed to so that I could look you in the eye and tell you that I'm sober. Right. So it, it is that growth of personal integrity that, that really drives this. Caroline, so you were doing that. You're working with a sponsor. Mm-hmm. What was it like? So and, and your sponsor, you're following the counsel of your sponsor to become honest about your sobriety date. Right. What are some other experiences with using a sponsor that you found surprising? I, I think this is a big one. And it's certainly something that I go through with my sponsees too. I never, ever, ever thought I was going to be able to trust another woman. Hmm. Well, trust anybody, period, but certainly not another woman. Um, you know, I had lots of negative experiences and with backstabbing and, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, it was living, so to speak. <laughs> I had a lot of issues trusting and lots of really, really good reasons for not trusting people. And, and so I was approaching the fourth step, you know, I was getting to know this woman. I, she told me her story and her journey, and it was way crazier than I could ever imagine. And she, drugs were a big part of her story but she chose to be an Alcoholics Anonymous because it was alcohol that really got her started on that journey. I knew I was going to have to do a fourth and a fifth step, but I had all sorts of stuff that I was carrying around that I had never intended on telling anybody. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to get out of doing that, you know, just do a fourth and a fifth and just kind of move on, you know? And this was directly <laughs> related to trusting yeah, her. but right. But then, but then I, so wait you know, a second, you're like, saying you're going to do a superficial fourth and fifth. Yeah. I was no like, no one well, has ever know, done how, that. Like, Let's how can I skip get across the top of the water? Of, right. Can I just like, you know, skate on past this, so to speak. And I don't remember who it was, but somebody in my network said to me, well, if you're that worried about whether you can trust her or not, then just sit down and meet with her and tell her the one thing that you swore you would never tell anybody else before you even do a fourth or a fifth step. And if she doesn't react in the way that you want her to react, then you can just say, you know what? I'm sorry. You're not sponsored for me. I'm going to find somebody else. And I'm just like, Oh God, I don't know if I can do that. It's too scary. <laughs> that so, is great. It is, know, like, I've never heard that all week long. I'm going, I mean, I was like, pins and needles. And finally I sat down in the living room with her and I said, okay, look, I'm going to tell you the one thing that I swore I was never going to tell anybody that I have the most shame and guilt over. And depending on how you react is going to depend on whether we continue with this relationship. And she's looking at me like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Okay, okay. <laughs> and so I tell her, and then she looks at me and she's like, yeah, I did that too. You know, and she took <laughs> her side, you know, her, her part of it. And I was like, oh my God, my body just, I, all of a sudden, I just felt 10 loads lighter. 
Wow. And there was still a lot of stuff. I mean, there was still a lot of stuff that I was worried about getting off my chest and worried about talking about, but I was like, okay, well, if she reacted that way to that, wow, then she must be okay. I and often do fantastic. that in listening to a fifth step. I often ask the person, if you want to go ahead and just get the worst thing out of the way and then you'll too. be free. Me too. Me too. Yeah, it's because I mean, it just, it just makes it, it it's, it's that giant obstacle that can stay in mind throughout the entire fifth step. And it's like, why not just go on and tell me the worst thing that you got? Yeah. Right. What's the thing you don't want to tell me? And I, I think what's really cool about that too, was she told me this and I, I didn't really have any frame of reference for it. So I didn't really understood what she, understand what she was talking about. But she's like, Caroline, when you sit down and you do this for another woman, that's when the healing is really going to take place. You're going to get unburdened with all this and that's awesome. And you'll feel better. But when you are able to sit down with another woman and you, this other woman did with you, what you just did with me, that's when the unburdening truly happens. And she was right because I have chills had right now. Yes. the privilege of doing the exact same thing for many women. And she's, she's exactly right. That's where we can change our relationship to the past. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's when that happens. Our right. liabilities become a superpower. That's right. What is it? Uh, we'll not regret the past nor wish nor to wish shut to the shut door, the door, on, door it. on it. For me, that didn't happen until I was listening to a fifth step and I was able to say, I did that. We can mm-hmm. see how our experience can benefit others. Wow. There you go. Right. I mean, there were so many. Sam, I've got chills. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first... You say that all the time. It just happened. Woo-hoo, I got chills. <laughs> there were so many things that I was sure were going to keep me from living a life that I could be proud of. And the process of sponsorship just really took care of me, not just being sponsored, but sponsoring other people. So it would sound to me like perhaps you have a, uh, a life today that you can be proud of. Yeah, I knew, right? Right. And I was, I, I mean, I've done pretty cool stuff in my life. Even before I got sober, I had, you know, really cool jobs and did lots of fun. Th- I mean, I, I've had, I've lived at least professionally a pretty interesting life, I think. But there's something else that gets added when you're able to do those really cool things and do them sober and a clean conscious and remember them (laughs) and be giving back in a way and in the service of other people's healing, you know, it's, it's freedom. Yeah. Freedom. We become free from that, from all that stuff that we did. And then I'm able to live one day at a time and I'm not able to live one day at a time as long as I've got those anvils of, of my past life chained to me, dragging them All behind right, me every right. step of the All way. All right, Ebenezer-ish. Ebenezer. <laughs> I want to talk about trust. Okay. So this was a big thing for you. And I've heard it was the case with me with a higher power. The whole idea of trusting into a higher power, that was something I didn't believe in when I came in. I now have had enough experience that of staying sober and trusting a higher power and things working out in ways that, that I could not make happen that I do trust it, but I didn't at first. And so trust runs through everything. It runs through relationships with other people. It runs through trust in a sponsor, trusting that AA will work for me. And trust in a higher power in that, I mean, how am I going to let go of how I feel the world needs to operate if I don't have trust that it's going to be okay? Right, right. So where are you in there with trust? Um, <laughs> I, it's an evolving process. I, I like what you said about a higher power. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a really religious household, not necessarily a negative thing. I grew up in a very liberal Christian. Yes, there are those of us who are Christian that are liberal. Yes. <laughs> it was a very yeah. liberal household, but also a very religious household. 
And um, so I was gifted with a belief in a higher power. I never not believed in God. Um, And so when I got to the second step, I thought, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. And my sponsor was like, that's not what the step is about. The step is about believing that a higher power can restore you to sanity. And I'm like, um, oh, (laughs) I like your sponsor. First of all, I had no idea that my thinking was insane. Right. And then Mm -hmm. I had to like go through that process. But, but then, but then I kept getting caught up and I wanted to go into the third step and wasn't able to work the third step because I was still stuck on the second step. And what I finally realized was that, you know, I, I grew up with two radically different concepts of God. I had, my grandfather was an Episcopal priest and he believed in an all loving, all caring creator that never judged you and was always there for you. And you could tell this creator everything and you are always wrapped in love and held and just wonderful, right? What everybody wants to believe. And then I had the other side of my family, my grandmother's God, who was like the guy in the sky with the white beard that was interested in punishing you and looking over your shoulder and what did you do wrong? And if you, if you screw up too much, then you're going to, you know, burn in hell for all eternity. I didn't want to believe in that God, but I was really afraid if that's the way God really worked and I was going to go to hell if I didn't believe in that God. And so I was just like, you know, this is all in the background, right? And, and I was forced when I got to the second step to reckon with that, right? Who is going to turn their will and their life over to something that is interested in punishing you? Like, I'm not going to do that. I have a friend in Greensboro who refers to that as the squish God. (laughs) It's going to squish you. (laughs) Right. There's no, there's no way I'm not turning my will over to that. No, you know? And so I, I really had to wrestle with that. And I really had to finally give up and decide that I was going to, that that God just wasn't working for me. In fact, that God was getting me drunk because I was angry at that God. And I was Mm. resentful at that God for causing all sorts of things that God probably doesn't even cause. But anyway, um, that God was getting me drunk. I had to let go. And and then why don't you choose your own conception of God? Right. And I was like, but wait a minute, because when you're growing up in a religious household, you're not told that you can choose. You're not allowed to. Right. You're not supposed to choose. That's not it. Right. It's this way or the highway. That's kind of like the sorting hat in Harry Potter. You are this. (laughs) And so finally gave up enough to say, okay. I can't get down with that God anymore. It's not helping me. It's not serving me. And, and I have worked the second and third many times in this ever evolving process of recovery. And then I had to reckon with it all over again when I got to the 11th step. Right. So, but practically you started out with a sponsor that you didn't trust. Right. And then, (laughs) you know, you move, you go through everything. So what in a practical way could someone do who has no trust in AA? what would you say to them? I'd say, I don't trust any of this. Uh, You know, I think trust is just a process of suiting up and showing, you know, you just, you show up and you let it work on you. You, you, I mean, we, um, it it says in the spiritual experience, so we have to be honest, open-minded and willing, right? This is the how program. And if you can't be honest, open-minded and willing, then you don't have a whole lot of a, of a chance. But if, if you can muster just a little bit, it says in the third step in the 12 and 12, just a little bit of willingness, just enough to open up the door, just a little, little tiny bit, right? It just, uh-huh. it's just a little nudge. Like if we could just get, a, you know, put your big toe in the deep end, just a little bit, right? I think it's just about suiting up and showing up. Like you don't trust. All right. Just keep going to meetings. Like eventually it's all going to work on you and you're going to be able to do it. And, and I think honestly, just suiting up and showing up and continuing to do that, even if you don't want to, is a, is a, is a beginning of trust, right? Because absolutely, you can say to yourself, well, it's worked for other people. And I see that other people are happy. And that's part of what I had to do. I was like, well, other people in AA are happy. They're laughing. They have jobs that they're proud of. They seem to be enjoying life. This is none of what I have going on. So I'm just going to keep coming back 
like kept telling me, keep coming back. I'm just going to keep coming back. And, and I'm, I, I'm going to, all right. I saw you walk down that dark, dark hall and then you turned out. Okay. So I guess I can walk down, the, you know, that just, just doing what I saw other people do. You know, I would add one thing to that based on my experience. And it was because it was eight months of me in the rooms before I even asked someone to be my sponsor. What happened? Were you sober I, for eight months? Yes, I was dry. Um, uh-huh. But I and I was going to meetings. Uh, I was going to meetings daily, twice on Saturdays. What happened is I got to know a group of people. And they got to know me. And the, the magic that kicked in that made that really happen was when I finally changed my instant answer of no to yes, when they invited me to go to dinner after a meeting or something like that. That is when, just like we're, the conversation we're having right now is that re- recreation of the meeting after the meeting. The meeting after the meeting is where I got to know people and they got to know me and that is how trust was built over time. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the, I, like I like that, that. honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And it's the open-mindedness and willingness that I had when I came in to go. And also, I heard somebody say that don't identify yourself out of AA. Don't find fault with what people are saying. See where what they're saying is the same as what you feel. And right. when I was doing that, that was like instructions for a speaker meeting. When I go to a speaker meeting, it's very easy for me to sit there and say, well, I didn't do that. And I didn't do that. And that's different. But I can identify myself in in an AA speaker meeting just as quickly as I can identify myself out. Yeah, because, I've heard that also put as relate, don't compare. Yeah. Yeah. And by doing that, AA became is attractive. Right. And then at some point it's like, well, these people are my friends. I like what they're doing. I'm going to ask one of them to sponsor me and then, and move into the program at then at that point. My service sponsor told me this several years ago, but it's the fellowship that gets us sober. Mm-hmm. It's the steps that lead us to the solution that keeps us sober, right. but the fellowship you know, that eight What's months, a service sponsor for people who don't know? A service sponsor. So we have sponsor is a person who guides us through working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. A service sponsor is someone who is experienced and versed in the traditions and also the 12 concepts. Uh, there's a book out there called the Super Secret General Service Manual. Uh, <laughs> Except Super Secret is not I in there. I have read that thing. Don't talk about it. It's super secret. Okay. <laughs> That's good. So you're saying that you're, it's someone you're, who takes you through that. So your sponsor was saying that it's the, it's the fellowship that gets us sober. It's the steps that leads us to the solution that keeps us sober. That's right. right. Yeah, there you go. Right. I love it. I love Without it. the fellowship, my first eight months in sobriety was all fellowship. It, there was not a single step worked my fellowship time with those people who became my group of friends over that first eight months, that's how I stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. Also for me in that time, the obsession to drink was removed, but I also got really clear that I needed to work the steps with a sponsor if I wanted it to stay on. Yeah. Right. Caroline, what is your program like today? What, how do you stay sober today? Uh, I, it comes back to sponsorship, right? My, my sponsees keep me honest. I don't sponsor a whole lot of women, but for me, that is the, the linchpin, I guess you've got, once you've got it, you know, my, my sponsor, I was actually on halfway through my ninth step when my sponsor says, okay, go get yourself a sponsee. And I'm like, what? Wait a minute. Now I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And she's like, yeah, you do. And I'm like, uh, I said, I'm not ready. And she's like, all right, well, if you want me to sponsor you, then you're going to get a sponsee and you're going to get one by the end of the week. And I was like, okay, okay. How? Wait, how do you do Wait, that? I, did you like go to the sponsors, sponsee store or something? Yeah, I mean, I know, well, actually, how do you yes, pick it one actually up? actually kind of happened that way. So <laughs> I happened to be at Starmouth that night. And then this woman that I had met at Keeping It Green, like a couple of weeks before, who was having trouble stopping drinking she was showing up at meetings and anyway 
you know, she came up to me and um, we were talking and she said, you know, that she'd kind of had was working really. And I said, well, then I'll sponsor you. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. OK, well, here's my phone number. You know, you got a big book. Yeah. All right. We'll meet. We'll meet. Blah, 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 blah. I, we've been working together for um, almost 13 years now. <laughs> oh, wow. That's great. So sponsorship for sure. I go to meetings. You know, I don't go to as many meetings as I used to go to meetings. I just, I struggle with that because I have such a full life today. I'm so grateful for the, I went back to grad school and got a master's in social work and I'm a substance use counselor now. And I um, have, I'm a yoga teacher. I mean, I just, you know, my, my life has blossomed in ways that I could never have imagined. And so Without Alcoholics Anonymous, none of this would be possible. So I work really closely with my sponsor. I go to meetings. I work with my sponsees. And I will have to say that I am doing one, two, three, 10, 11, and 12 every day. Work the first three steps, work the last three steps every day, right? So that you can stay out of the middle so that you don't have to do another ninth step or another fourth and fifth, sixth and seven, you know, stay out of the middle, right? The middle's there when you need it. Stay out of the middle. I have never heard it put this way. I love this. (laughs) Um, Stay out of the middle. Right. I don't want to be back there making any amends. I mean, I know what you're saying. I don't want to be making amends for past things. I'll make amends immediately right now. If yeah, I, if and I stay in the literature. In the re, in the way that I stay in the literature is that I I read it with my sponsees, you know, mm-hmm. and it just it reminds me, right? Every time I pick up that big book and I read with another sponsee about you know wherever it is we happen to be in the book, it just reminds me. Well, so that's, that's what the, that's what Doctor Bob and Bill. That's the way the program started, helping yeah. another alcoholic. You know, Caroline, I got to tell you, you just helped me. So having moved out here to California in the midst of COVID, I have not been active uh, in the local communities uh, recovery uh, meetings all that much and not so much on Zoom as well. And now that things are opening up, I'm finding myself a little reticent to like, I've really gotten used to staying at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't have any um, sponsees right now and then particularly no one here. What I just got, if I want a sponsee, I'm going to have to go to the sponsee store and the sponsee store is the meetings. It's the meetings. That's right. You can't get a sponsee if you don't go to meetings, right? I mean, how how in the heck are they going to find you? You get a sponsee by sharing in meetings and allowing people to know. That's one way. And then people will will ask you. But then another way is talking to people after the meeting and Mm -hmm. during the meeting. And Caroline, what you did is say, well, I'll be your sponsor. Right. So you go grab them. <laughs> That's how my first sponsor did me. Of course, I'm, I, I will have to tell you, and, and she allows me to tell the story. I think my coolest sponsee story is that. So the other thing that I took up in sobriety was backpacking. And I went on a backpacking trip. This was a year ago, October. We're out and, and, and I do this with my church. I, I got back involved with my, my church of my childhood um, after I'd been sober for a while. And so we're out literally in the middle of nowhere. And there's this woman on the trip. Something is up. Like she's stumbling and falling. We have 30 pound packs on our backs, right? And she's falling. And I'm like, this is scary. Right. And then I get a whiff of her and I'm like, oh my God, she is drunk. Uh Right. You know, and so I pull one of the leaders aside and I'm like, look, I think this is what's going on. And she's like, I think that you're right about that. And so I went to our leadership and the leadership happens to be my spiritual director. So kind of like a spiritual sponsor. And so he knows my story and he's like, well, Caroline, you know, both personally and professionally, this is your show. This is your rodeo. Uh, What are we going to do here? And I said, well, we had another guide with us who was also a counselor. And Mm -hmm. I said, I think the two of us are just going to have to sit down and have a conversation with the group go ahead. And we're sitting there. And I was like, you know, hey, um, 
how much have you had to drink today? And she's like, well, I haven't had anything to drink today. And I was like, okay, well, how much did you have yesterday? And she's like, well, a glass of wine. And I said, well, how often are you having a glass of wine? And she's two or three times a week. And I said, okay, because that's really interesting because boy, do you smell like vodka right now? And she's like, really? And I said, yeah. And then I just started to tell her my story. Like I, I just quit asking her questions and five minutes in, she's sobbing. Mm. You know, I can't stop drinking. Mm, yeah. You know, we got her to someplace safe. She, you know, we we're going to be there a whole weekend and she made a decision to leave the trip. You know, I said, here's my number. Um, but you know, here we are more than a year later and she's sober and is getting her life back and is getting to the point where she will be soon sponsoring other women. And, but I mean, is that not a higher power or what we're in the middle of nowhere? Like the Eskimo <laughs> story, folks, right? It is. When things like that happen to me, there is evidence. There's hard and fast evidence that something out there is at work. I don't know what you want to call it. I happen to call it a higher power, but I did not make that happen. That's I beautiful. love that story. That's fantastic. Caroline, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this chat, but stick around. Also, watch your head. Okay. It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. That's the way it works for all of us. Spammy. <laughs> I am not processed meat, thank you. <laughs> you can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question from Gertrude in Tennessee. As a queer woman, can I have a woman as my sponsor or do I have to have a man? Oh, that's a good question. Everybody will have different responses. And I think the situation is different for every individual. But as a general rule, for me, it is a good idea to have a male sponsor. And here's the reason, because being a sponsor and going through the steps is a very intimate situation. You are sharing on the deepest level that two people can. You're talking about your emotions, motivations, it's intimate. And if I had a, a sponsee who was a woman, it is awful similar to having a relationship. And it's only natural to become that close to someone else of the opposite sex. For me, it would there would be an attraction. So to avoid that, it's the general idea in AA that men sponsor men and women sponsor women. So I would think... I don't know if gay people are totally different, but I don't think they're totally different. There are horns growing out of our heads. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to let Sam address this, but I would think it would be the same way. And so if you have a sponsee who is female and you're sharing on the deepest, most intimate level about how you think and how you operate, what you care about, where you've been hurt, where you have loved, sharing all of that. But there's definitely the case where it could be different for in any individual situation. Thanks, Don. Caroline, what do you think? I've had gay women as sponsors. I'm not gay, so that wasn't really an issue. And I, I really think you keep your own score and you take the advice of other people. I've known gay women that were sponsored by gay men, and I've known women that were sponsored by heterosexual women. I think it's the sexual tension that drives things south, right? So if you wouldn't want to have a sponsor or a sponsee that you have sexual attraction to. So if I'm a gay woman and I'm being sponsored by a woman and there's sexual tension between us, that just ain't going to work. At least that's been my personal experience. But that's what I have to say about it. I don't know. I'd love to hear what Sam has to say about it. Oh, honey, let me, let me tell you. All right. So 
yeah, the sexual tension uh, totally is the thing um, that I think that we need to be concerned about. So the first person I asked to be a sponsor was a straight man that um, reminded me of a former partner of mine. Woo, woo, arms. Uh, and he said no. And he suggested one of his sponsees, who was also a straight man, and I couldn't do it. And so I told, uh, I told about that um, that night at dinner with that group of friends that uh, I had made in the uh, the rooms in that eight months of uh, first eight months of sobriety. And one of them, Tiffany, was sitting beside me. And Tiffany said, well, Sam, I'll be your temporary sponsor. And Tiffany, a lesbian, was my temporary sponsor for four years. And she was fantastic. My thoughts on this are that your first sponsor should absolutely be someone that there is no remote chance that you're going to be sexually attracted to them. Seek yeah, someone. You got to get you got to get clear on that. Yeah, it's one of the first things you got. I had to get clear on. Yeah. You, well, the other thing is that that can get in the way of mm-hmm. what this is about. So don't seek a person that you're attracted to because you think they're hot. I'll, I'll go in and reiterate that thing that I've, I've said for many, many times uh, over the years now. Uh, the way I get my sponsor now is that I ask someone whose recovery, their recovery is really strong and I respect them. And I talk with them about who they think would be a good sponsor for me. Yeah. I don't even choose anymore. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Caroline. It's Thank been a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. It was, Thank a, you. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad this, this has been a lot of fun. Oh, uh, owl behave yourself. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. The boiled owl podcast is posted on the first and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. Also, a quick shout out to, uh, thanks to uh, Claudette, a former guest who also made a uh, contribution on the website. Thanks so much, Claudette. Thank you, Claudette. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Boiled Owl. Tawny Brown Whiskey. It's explosive. Why is it explosive? It'll blow the top of your head off. Every gallon comes with a boiled owl in the bottle. You can't buy a pint, you can't buy a quart, not enough room. And we know you might come for the owl, but you stay for the whiskey. Boiled owl. Connie Brown Whiskey.